Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. So this series, we've been talking about possessing the promise. And so typically we think when we possess the promise, we think about the children of Israel and then making it to the promised land. So that's really going to be the core of of my topic as well. And this lesson is titled, Drawing the Line. Drawing the Line. And the idea is that if, like Joshua, we are going to possess our promise, we have to choose to, to serve God no matter what. We have to make that choice. And it's not a one-time choice. It's a daily choice. So I, I will tell you, and I know I've said this before, but I've always been fascinated with the story of the children of Israel. And um, I just love to study their journey. I feel like every time that I study it, the Lord reveals something new to me that really seems to challenge me in my own walk because I can see my walk into something that they've done and something new God reveals to me all the time. I'm going to share those, a couple of those things this week, what I've learned. And I will tell you that their story really kind of spans over the first six books of the Bible. There's a lot of, a lot of books for one story. And I'm not going to review all that. You're welcome. But um, I'm going to try to quickly summarize 470 years and, uh, and then focus on when they are at that border of their promise. They are on the border of Canaan. They're about to possess the land. And um, so it, it'll probably be a little short. Did I tell you, Pastor, I love you. Please forgive me. <laughs> But we're going to get through this. So here's the 430 years in a nutshell. The children of Israel spent 430 years in slavery, and they cried out to God to set them free. God delivered them miraculously. He used signs, miracles, and wonders, and he took them out of Egypt. And they were delivered, but they weren't yet free. Okay, now that's a thought because there's a difference between deliverance and freedom. Now, we can be in the midst of the presence of God, but not really possess the promises that he had. It's like many Sundays we walk in and we're carrying things that God could have just taken from us. We're not, we're here delivered, but we're not really set free. And that's the way that they were. They were delivered from Egypt and from Pharaoh and from slavery, but they were, they were delivered and still walking in the wilderness. They were there for a very long time, and, but God never wanted them to stay just delivered. It was never his intention that they just stay delivered. He brought them out, but he also wanted to bring them in. He brought them out of slavery to bring them into freedom in the promised land. But they would be free when they stepped into the promised land. So Deuteronomy, we already went through five books. Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy 1 and 2 says that it was an 11-day journey. So from Egypt to the promised land, it was an 11-day journey by foot. But the very next verse tells us that because of their doubt and disobedience, that 11-day journey actually took them 40 years. 
Okay, so for 40 years, they wandered around, delivered, but they were circling the same mountains, going over the same obstacles. And sometimes I think we kind of do the same thing. Sometimes we circle around some same mountains. God may deliver us out of circumstances and situations, but we aren't completely free. Maybe we've experienced a tragic event, a failure, a hurt, but we keep the same thought patterns that we had when we were there. We keep those same thought patterns and we circle around. Maybe it's mountains of guilt or maybe it's doubt or fence, bitterness or shame, whatever it might be. And I can tell you I know that personally because I I didn't realize it at the time, but I know that God brought me out of very, very painful and hurtful situations but I just lived as a delivered victim, if that, for lack of a better way. I lived as a delivered victim. He brought me out of something, but I carried kind of this hurt and this weight that I wasn't set free from. And so sometimes we're walking around, and we believe Jesus, and we carry our Bibles, but maybe we forget that Jesus didn't come just to deliver us, but the Bible says that he came to set us free. And so I believe that that's the point of why that 11 days took 40 years. Because even though they came out of Egypt, Egypt was still in them. It took them 40 years. It took God 40 years to get the Egypt out. Now, I believe that they were glad that they didn't have to suffer beatings. I I believe that. I think that they were glad that they didn't have to work 19, 20 hours a day. But I still believe that they were addicted to and that they longed for some things in Egypt. I know they did. In Exodus chapter 16, they complained about missing the meat and the bread. Well, you know, God, you delivered us, but you just delivered us to starve us to death. I want that meat, and I want all that bread that's over there. So they were delivered, but they weren't yet free. And what God was trying to do in this 40 years is tell them, you can't take that mindset. You can't take that same complaining into the promised land. They had to leave all of that in the wilderness. That wilderness was there so they could get rid of that Egypt mentality. So whether it takes us 11 days, or it takes us 40 years, or somewhere in between, to possess our promise to be delivered and free, we know that we got to get the Egypt out. We have to let Jesus set us free. We can't take an Egyptian mindset into the promised land because there's no freedom in wanting Egypt. If you still want to carry that, that's not freedom. There's no freedom in that. There's no freedom in wanting Egypt. There's no freedom in holding an offense. There's no freedom in bitterness. There's no freedom in doubt and fear. So the Lord stops Joshua on the edge of the promised land. On the border between deliverance and freedom, the Lord stops Joshua and he draws a line. And he says a few things need to happen for them to step over. And the first thing that he says in Joshua 5 and 2 is that at that time the Lord said unto Joshua, make these sharp knives and circumcise again, key word is again, the children of Israel the second time. Circumcision is a, is a way, it's a cutting away. It's a cutting away of things. It was part of the original covenant that God made with Abraham. And without it, Israel was not in covenant with God. And verse 5 says that all the people that came out of Egypt, so those original bunch of people that came out of Egypt, they were circumcised. They had paid that price. But now there's a new generation. There's a generation of people that were born in the wilderness. In those 40 years, there were many of those that had died. And now there's many new ones that are coming up. Well, these, this new generation is going to be the one to take that step into the promised land. They're going to be inhabiting something. 
And so they too had to have this covenant. If they wanted the promise, they had to be in covenant with God and they had to pay their own price. They couldn't go in based on the price that was paid by the generation before. Think about that. If you say that in our, in our world today, we're not at this point because of something that we so much did, but we're here today because somebody paid a price. Somebody fought some battles. Somebody made some steps out in faith. And I know it can be hard to appreciate a land that you didn't fight for. I think of that sometimes with my kids. They don't appreciate any stuff that their parents do or their grandparents do. And you just, you know, sometimes get upset with them because it's hard to appreciate something that they didn't, you didn't have to work for or that you didn't have to fight for. It's easy to take somebody else's sacrifice for granted. But that didn't just happen. And this just didn't happen. You think that this wonderful country, the United States of America, it didn't just happen. There were a lot of men and women who sacrificed a whole lot for us to have the freedom just to sit here today. And even more, back 70, 80 years ago, Sister Dees, I was not here for her prayer meeting. I never once spoke, never once spoke one prayer with her. I didn't fast with her. I wasn't here when the faithful men of this church built this church. I wasn't here. I'd never painted a wall. I never laid a brick. But I'm here and you're here because someone else paid that price. That generation before us paid a huge price. So the Lord drew this line and he told the Israelites that if you're going to move one step further and possess this promise, that you have to have some cutting away. You have to pay a price too. So I know that if I want to go to the next level of God, and I do, I want to possess more and more of his, of his promises, then I have to pay my own price. Every generation has to have their own cutting away. And the Bible's so clear on it. Lay aside every weight and sin. And even Paul says in Romans that the circumcision is of the heart and of the spirit. And so I pray, God, that you would just cut things out of my life and out of my heart that keep me planted where I am. Make me go further. Cut things out of my heart that don't need to be there. If it's going to prevent me from walking in the promises of God, then God, remove it from my life. And I think about this time that where we are at today in just two weeks, we have a scheduled revival services. But revival doesn't just happen. There has to be a cutting away, and that's why we are in the midst and we promote 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because if we really want true revival inside of us, we're going to participate in some cutting away and some paying some prices so that in two weeks we are prepared that God's going to plant some new promises in our lives. The Bible continues to tell us in verse 9 that after the cutting away, the Lord said this to them. So they cut it away, they um, healed, and then the Bible says that after the cutting away, the Lord said, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. That is powerful. Forty years it took to cut Egypt out of them, and as they're about to step over the promised land, God just took that reproach from them. He took the, any disgrace. He took any of the shame. And the Bible says he rolled it away. I believe that that's symbolic of baptism. And I think we have some people here that know there are some times we come to a place of repentance and we cut some things away. And that when the Lord comes in and we're baptized in his name, he washes and rolls those things away. I think that's such a significant part that we can see a parallel between the life, what they lived, and how we still live. It still matters to us. It still makes sense. So after the Lord rolled away all of Egypt out of them, the Bible says that they celebrated the Passover, and they're on the border of Canaan. They ate Canaan's crops. 
And the Bible says that the manna ceased. The manna stopped. So for 40 years, God provided manna daily. Just enough for them to survive, enough for them to get by that day. Here's your supply for the day. God did that. They woke up, and it was there. They didn't have to pray about it. They didn't have to have faith. God, how am I going to eat today? It didn't take much. It didn't take much work. It didn't take much faith in action. It may have even been taken for granted. And sometimes I think we're like that. We kind of have these blessings of God flowing in the fabric of our lives. And sometimes we tend to take them for granted. We practice our Christian habits. We expect our blessings to be there. And then we have this manna mentality. Just enough to get us by. I just need a little bit of prayer to get me by today. I just need a little bit of Jesus just to get me by today. But, in that, but the, the, I'm not saying that you're not going to get by. That's great. But living with that mentality every day consistently does not require us to operate in faith. And faith and operating in faith is a huge part of who we are. It's a huge part of what makes us different than other people. So if we have that manna mentality, well, you know, this is the way that it's always done. This is the way God's always done it. Or this is what works. It doesn't take much active faith. And then it's also important to, to remember that manna was how God fed them to survive in the wilderness. That's how he used, that's what he used. That's the instrument that he used to feed them when they were in the wilderness. And I know that there are times and seasons where, we're feel like, where we feel like we're in the wilderness, and that may be a time to where our, our faith is a little weaker. And so God may give us whatever we need just to get by through that season. But here they are, and they're not in the wilderness anymore. They're on the border of a new promise and a new season so God drew the line, he took manna off the menu, and he said that you're not in the wilderness anymore, and I don't do things in the promised land like I did in the wilderness. It's a new season, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed you a different way. The manna ceased, and it wasn't because God was just going to leave them and starve them to death, but he was going to feed them a new way. It was going to take a new faith, some renewed faith, some active faith. And so you think about that, and when things are changing, they could continue with the weak faith and the manna mentality. And if they did and they walked over to the promised land still expecting manna, they would starve to death because the manna ceased. They would starve to death if they kept doing things the old way and they kept just expecting the handout from God. Or they could step over in faith and adopt the overflow mentality in the promised land. So they weren't going to starve. They were going to cross over and take and the overflow, all that milk and honey. So God was faithful to them. He kept them. He provided for them. And he performed so many miracles. And in the very next chapter, which is chapter 6, if you don't know the next part of the story, you would think that, well, man, that sounds awesome. And they're going to just dance their next steps right over. They're going to worship. And they're just going to take over the promised land. And finally, you know, that's, that's how their story, that's where it sounds like it's going. But the first thing that they walk into is a wall. That's the last thing that we would expect. So what do you do? You've made it. God is good. You're at this new level. And then you hit a wall. Tell me it doesn't happen. It does. You hit a wall. You're in this new blessing. God's blessed you. You're walking in the promises. You maybe got a new promotion. You've got God is good to your family. You got a touch from God. You're walking at this new level, and your family's attacked. Your finances, your health is attacked. 
new levels, new devils. So the Bible, it's true. <laughs> the Bible says in Joshua 6 and 1, it says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up. None went in and none went out. It was closed up. It looked impossible for them. And they could have looked at it like that. They could have kept their old, stale, weak faith and just seen 30 feet, heavy, fortified walls. Because it's easy to focus on those walls and make them a lot bigger than our God. That's what that weak faith does. That situation, that wall is a lot bigger than God, but it's not. God didn't want Joshua to only see the facts of their circumstance. Yes, that was a big wall. That's a fact. But he wanted him to see the promise on the other side of the wall. So he tells Joshua probably the last thing that he wants to hear. Joshua, y'all have been walking in the wilderness for 40 years. I'm going to instruct you to keep, some walk, to keep walking. Walk a little more. It's probably not the thing that he wanted to hear. But he told him, keep the faith. March around. Don't give up. When you hit that wall, it's the same thing with us. When we hit that wall, it's not time to give up. Keep praying. Keep serving. I know you're tired, but take another lap. There is victory on the other side, and that's what God wants you to see. Because we all know the walls came down, and our walls will come down too. But we have to build our life on the truth of God's word. We have to stand on his promises, and sometimes we have to speak in faith. We have to speak healing. We have to claim his stripes. So that was six, and we know the story of Jericho, and they conquered Jericho. And so for the next whole long, the, the rest of really the, the book of Joshua we learn a lot about the different battles that they went through, the battles that they won. We learn that they possessed the land, that they settled into the promised land. And um, so many victories. And I, the one scripture that just stood out to me that I just loved, because it's, so, it's such a description of the faithfulness of God, is all the way Joshua, we, so we fast forward through everything, Joshua 21 and 45. And it says, not one. Of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Not one. Every one of them was fulfilled. And that is because we have a faithful God. He is faithful to his word. He does what he says. He keeps the promises that he makes. That even if we're faithless, he remains faithful. Amen. So in the final chapter of Joshua... It's not just the final chapter of Joshua, but this is about the end of Joshua's life. And he gathers all the tribes of Israel, and he gives a very encouraging and a very inspiring message. Some people refer to it as his farewell speech. And in this message, he reminds them of their history. And he challenged them to continue to move forward. Hey, it doesn't stop here. God's promises doesn't stop here. Please move forward. He wants them to understand that there's a connection from all their past victories to what their current, their future vision is. And that was that God had fought for them and that he will continue to do so. And I do believe personally that his words were made to live just beyond that generation. I believe that he was not just speaking to that generation, but this is something that we can read over and over again, that it can be applied and echoed in our lives and the, one of the first things that, that struck me was the significance of the place where, where Joshua gathered them. And he gathered them at a place called Shechem. And I know you've heard that before. But Shechem was the place where Abraham, so you're talking hundreds of years earlier, Abraham first received God's promise to possess the land. 
It was the first place where Abraham built that altar. And Joshua brings them back to the place where the promise was originally made. Hundreds of years earlier, many generations removed from Abraham, the very seed of the promise is back in Shechem. The place where the promise was made to one man, Abraham, is now the place where a nation of millions is standing. And Joshua uses that significant location as a backdrop to show them, look how far God has brought you. Look how far God has brought you. And maybe right now God is bringing those back to your mind, that place, that Shechem in your life, that you have those times, those memories, those places of significance where you look back and you remember, God has brought me a, a mighty long way. Maybe you hear songs that take you to the place where Jesus rescued you. You hear the song, Take Me Back, and my mind goes back to 7416 East Mohawk Avenue. Or you hear, Through It All, I learned to trust in Jesus. It was never on my own understanding, but it was through it all that he brought me through. And sometimes you hear the songs and you can't stop the tears from flowing and you can't help but to lift your hands as high as they can and praise because you've come full circle. You remember where you've been and where you are today. Those places, those memories are so beautiful because it reminds us that that journey, that our journey, each one individually, it's not in vain. We're headed somewhere, that God made a way where there was no way and that he's still working on our behalf. So you can look around this congregation and I believe there's many people that could say, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. Last Sunday, we had a Shechem moment. If you remember, there were several people that walked up here and they shared how far God had brought them. You remember that? Sometimes we need to see and remember our lives from Shechem's point of view, from that first side of that, of that cardboard testimony, from where we started. If we look at things through faith, we can remember that he's walked with us all the way and that he'll continue to, that he's never going to leave us, that he's never going to forsake us. He that begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Joshua reminds the people how far they came. Here we are standing where the promise originated and you're part of that promise. You're standing on the promises of God. And so I want to read to you a portion of his speech. It's kind of lengthy, so stay with me. This is going to be Joshua, if you're writing, 24 6 through 15. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came into the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness. Everybody say darkness. So the Lord put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt, and ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan, and they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand that ye might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Baor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan, and you came into Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, probably some parasites. And being that it's November, probably some cellulites. But I delivered them into your hand. And verse 12 says, and I sent the hornet before you. Say hornet. 
sent a hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, and the vineyards and the oliveyards which ye planted not do you eat. Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods of your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the god of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Even if we don't understand all that stuff that he was saying, you just feel it. There's something about what he's saying. And so he starts out going back to where we actually started this morning, that God had brought them out of Egypt. Now, it was interesting to me that he mentioned the Red Sea, but not the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. Okay, when we think about the Red Sea and we learn in Sunday school that God did this huge thing and he the waters in half, and they walk through. Well, he mentions the Red Sea, but he didn't mention that part, okay? He talks about all the battles they fought. He mentions Jericho, but he didn't ever tell him about the walls came tumbling down. He never said that. Like, how do you miss those? Those are like two major parts of their story, and he, he didn't mention it. But instead, he mentions in verse 7, when he's talking about the Red Sea, he says this. He says, the Lord put darkness, I had you say that, because there's, there's significance in that. He put darkness between them and the Egyptians. He doesn't mention the miracles that they could see, the water parting, but he mentions the ones they couldn't see that was behind them. The Bible says he sent darkness, the very thing that was going on behind them that they could not see. And some of the greatest miracles in our lives are the things that we don't see. There's invisible miracles, the ones that we don't ever see. I don't know how he took all my sins away. I don't know how he held my hand through the valley or how he protected me from something I thought that I wanted. But those, And you ask them people that sit up here last week, they probably didn't know or understand on side one what God was going to do on the side two. They did not know that. And maybe they didn't see it before. Maybe we didn't see it before. But God was working behind us the whole time. He may not have kept us from the battle, but he fought. And he fought, and he fought for us the whole way through. He had our back the whole time, and he handled what was behind us. God reminded them that sometimes we have to thank God for that darkness, those things that we didn't see, because there's no telling how many things that God kept us from that we don't even know about. The miracles just aren't what we see or what we get. It's not about what God gave me, but what he did for me and in me and through me, seen or unseen. The world says that you have to see it to believe it, but we don't live like the world. We live by faith, that unseen, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We believe it before we see it. I, believe, I know he will even before he ever does. That's how we live. 
But Joshua didn't stop there. That was verse 7, the darkness behind him. But he said not only did God send darkness behind him, but he continues verse 12 and he says that he sent the hornet. I made you say that word too. He sent the hornet before you. And if I could be honest, reading this passage, that's really the word that got me into this whole discussion was the hornet. I thought, is there a mistake? I mean, what does a hornet have to do with, I don't get it. I just didn't get it. So normally if there's something I just don't get, I have to study on that a little bit. So God sent the hornet before them. And I learned that the hornet, as actually mentioned three times in the Bible, in reference to their story, the children of Israel. God, and three times in the Bible, it says that he sent the hornet before him. And this is one place. And I'm going to be honest with you, I can't say that it was an actual physical insect that, that God just sent. I can't say that. But that's not the point, regardless. That's not the point. Because it's clear, what is clear in this, is that God did send a terror God did send a fear, another invisible miracle to Israel's enemies before Israel even got there. He, went, he wasn't just taking care of the darkness behind them, but he sent something before them. He sent something before them. And that's very, very, very clear because Israel won so many battles because God went before them. Their enemies were scared and trembled and fled before Israel even got there to fight because God sent something before them. So God does not only just have your back, but he also goes before you. He sent darkness behind you and he sent hornets before you. So he didn't just have your yesterday, but he also holds your tomorrow. Amen. So I'm going to come to a conclusion. I told you it'd be a little bit early. But we've got a song for you. I couldn't escape the song either. So Joshua says this. Now you understand that what God did back there. And now you understand that he's going before you too. So he spends that whole speech telling, reminding them of their history. and Inspiring them to keep going. Keep going. Don't stop now because God's in front of you. God's already there. And he says this, and then he says what we know. He draws the line. He draws a line. They've settled in the promised land, and now it's time to settle some matters in their heart. Choose this day who you will serve. And the same choice is before us today. God has been faithful to us. He has kept us when our faith was weak. He's fulfilled promises to us. He's never left us. We've settled and got comfy in our little Christianity. We live in a blessed life. But there's still some things and matters in our heart that we have to settle. Whether it's some doubt that creeps in. Whether it's some fear. It could be weights. Not so much sin. It could, and it could be sin, but it could be weights. But we have to settle some things in our hearts. This week I realized that it's the end of October. We have two more months in the year. And we know that this time of year always goes by really fast. But the point that hit me was it wasn't just that we have two more months in this year. We have two more months in this decade. We have two more months in this decade. And I'm a reflector, so I look at that and I start looking, what don't I want to take to 2020? What don't I want to take? This not time to just hold on to those things. We have to choose this day not to put things off, but to draw some lines 
today to draw some lines. So let's cut some things out of our lives if you'll stand. Today, if we can make the choice and the decision to cut some things out of our lives or to, to activate and live at a higher level of faith or to keep marching and to keep praying, maybe we need to determine in our hearts to visit Shechem again to remember that where God has brought us from. Or maybe we just need to take some time to thank him for those invisible miracles. But we've got to settle some matters in our heart. So let's purpose to make those choices in our heart, not just today, but every single day. That's the goal. That's what it's all about. It's just not about coming and making one decision one day to, to, to live for God. It's every single day. I've got to make that effort. Every single day. If it, that's what it takes to live in the promises of God, to possess the promises, then that's what I'll do. Amen. So can we pray? Jesus, I thank you, God, for bringing us out. I thank you, God, for bringing us out. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.